Hello and welcome to One Foot Down Podcast. I am Eric Murtaugh, back as your host. This is our 46th episode. Um, we're slowly getting closer and closer to that 50th episode. Probably hit that sometime around uh, National Sign Day when we get into a lot of recruiting stuff. Uh, I haven't done a podcast in a while. It's been about three weeks. Um, Thanksgiving kind of got into the way and we've kind of waited to do a, a podcast after the regular season finished up, uh, finally found some time to sit down and collect my thoughts and talk a little bit about what's going on with Notre Dame. Obviously not a very good finish to the season. The Irish lose four straight. Uh, five out of the six last games are all losses. I'm not going to really spend a whole lot of time talking about the Louisville game. We never really covered that in podcast form. Did think Notre Dame played really well in that game, given the circumstances. Um, would have been nice to see the offense step up at the, at the end of that game and, and, and win that win that for uh, for everyone. Um, I think that would have been a big boost. Maybe things would have been a little bit different going into that USC game, but uh, so it goes. The USC loss. I guess I'll spend a little bit more time on that game. Um, you know. It didn't really feel like the uh, the defense had a chance. I think I predicted maybe a four or five point loss with USC scoring, I think thirty five points or something like that. Um, that was pretty ugly, and I know, <clears throat> as so often happens, the last game kind of colors the perception of the entire season, um, especially when it's the last game of the season, and now we're just left to stew our thoughts with uh, everything that we saw out there in Los Angeles. Uh, a pretty terrible loss all around. The defense couldn't stop at all, stop USC at all. It looked like USC was going to score 60 points, maybe set the record for most points ever scored against Notre Dame. Um, you know, at this point in, in Brian, Brian Kelly's tenure, <clears throat> would hope that these kind of conversations aren't going to be happening. Um, with the injuries on defense and everything, uh, you know, <clears throat> I guess it's not completely surprising. So, um, but be that as it may, the most of the talk coming out of that game was how the how terrible the offense performed in the game, um, especially with Golson. I'll get to him in a little bit. I'll talk about um, the quarterbacks in a little bit. But it wasn't just him. You know, there were some some key drops by the receivers in that game, um, and you know, there's been a lot of talk about how the team wasn't focused, um, you know, that they gave up. I, I really try to fight, um, making those kind of declarations of, or making those statements about, um, college kids. And I mentioned that in my review. I, I think when you look back at 2009, for example, I thought, we could have made a good case that a large part of that Notre Dame team just wasn't in it mentally anymore. Um, they had a lot of close losses, and I think they just got beaten down by you know everything that was going on at that time. And the writing on the wall, at least by November, kind of seemed to be there for Charlie Weiss. And, you know, I remember a lot of people back then talking about the team wasn't showing heart. They folded at the first sign of, uh, of disaster that would strike, particularly that UConn game was kind of fitting. The Notre Dame came out 
really strong in that game. I think they raced out to a 14 nothing lead, if I'm not mistaken, at least a two-score lead. And then UConn kind of chipped away, and eventually, you know, by the end of the – or the middle to the end of the second quarter, UConn had grabbed all the momentum and ended up winning that game in overtime. But, you know, in terms of looking at the team right now in 2014 and bringing up things like quitting – or not being focused. I think being focused at Notre Dame is really hard. I don't know if anybody uh, has has read anything uh, on, on a certain message board that I wrote, but I think the biggest challenge that any Notre Dame coach will ever face is being able to have uh, the Notre Dame players focused week in and week out. I don't think there's anything more challenging than that um, and you know academics plays a lot of a big part in that, but it goes beyond that. And I think, you know, pound for pound, the distractions that Notre Dame players have to deal with um, are just it's not there's nothing like it in the country. And, and it's different at Alabama where you're getting attention and there's distractions with that. But Notre Dame deals with that probably even to a more even to a greater degree when they're losing three or four games a season, um, you know, it's just incessant. The media coverage, you know, all the hoopla on game days, uh, all the stuff that the players have to go through in addition to their academic legwork. I mean, I can't really tell you that Golson was probably 100% focused. And I don't even know if that's, you know, if I could blame him personally for that. I just think that that's something that, these players have to deal with, you know, doing all these promos for NBC, uh, doing more interviews than an average team, uh, stuff like that. I mean, even the coaching staff and Brian Kelly, the distractions are always there. I do believe that, you know, you can lay out all of this stuff at the, at, 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 you know, a lack of being focused because of distractions. Now, I think it's an entirely different argument when you want to talk about uh, not playing with heart or giving up. I didn't really see that in that USC game, and I would kind of vehemently do, disagree with people who who say that about um, the team against USC. I I didn't think the offense played very well at all in the beginning. I mean, that's that's apparently obvious. Um, but I don't think that necessarily equates no heart. Now you want to people want to kind of take what they saw out of Golson and kind of branch out from there and, and say that the team didn't play with heart and they gave up. But at the very least, um, you know, when Zaire came in, I thought that the team fought hard. Um, I thought the defense, you know, fought about as hard as they could. They were, you know, at, we basically asking them to do the impossible at that point uh, when USC was able to establish the run and then do whatever they wanted in the passing game. I mean, what do you, what do we want the the defense to do at that point? But I didn't see a lack of effort there. And, and, you know, when Zaire came in, granted USC basically uh, ran the ball a hundred different, hundred times straight in the fourth quarter. So it wasn't necessarily as bad as it could have been, but once Zaire came into that game, it got a little spark and uh, you know, things kind of evened out a little bit in that game. So talking about giving up uh, a lack of heart, you know, I think that's just, I know a complete overreaction to the last game of the season. And then of course we're all, we're just left here to, to talk about that game. That's carrying over into a lot of 
conversations and and indictments on the team here two weeks after or into the second week after the game. So, you know, I, I guess it's fair game whenever you go seven and five that people are going to question where the brother Brian Kelly has lost the locker room and stuff like that. I, we might get into that on the site um, in the off season. Might talk about that a little bit. I think it helps to, to move on, take a little time to think about everything that happened in the season. I do think people get caught up in, in everything and, there's so many emotions around Notre Dame football and, and all that. So, um, you know, it's funny. I predicted this team to go eight and four this year. And uh, if you had told me that those five players were going to be suspended, if you remember in our predictions, we actually had written those predictions a, a, a few days before uh, the news started to leak about the suspended five players. So I thought this team was going to go eight and four. I thought the offense was going to be improved and I didn't think the defense was really going to be um, anything special. I thought they'd do okay at times and struggle at times. And then if you had told me, Hey, Notre Dame's going to lose 18 up to 18 players at different times on defense and basically lose an entire other starting lineup on defense would you be surprised if the team went seven and five? And I don't think there's any way how I could say that I would be surprised if I predicted eight and four and all of that happened, all those players weren't playing, all those injuries, and we lost one extra game. Not all that surprising. So I try to think about that when, I, when I'm looking, trying to take in the entire season. Now, I do think, you know, the other side to that little exercise is that, well, what if I told you, Notre Dame started six and zero, beat Michigan thirty-seven and nothing. Uh, notice I used thirty-seven nothing there. And then on top of that, Golson had a ridiculous amount of turnovers, and the team finished seven and five. Would I believe that? And I, I think that's kind of what's what's making this such a hard season to swallow is that the team looks so good early on. I, you could probably make the case the defense was showing some craps, cracks. <laughs> That's a Freudian slip if there's ever been one. Uh, they are showing some cracks early on in the season. Um, you could probably make a case the offense was kind of getting by uh, on some big playability, but the turnovers were troubling early on, especially after the, f- the fourth game. But they did start 6-0, and and I think, you know, the way the season ended, you just lose that many games in a row. It, it really does kind of portend a, a doomsday feeling to everything, but... Like I said, thought this was going to be 8-4 season. They finished 7-5 and five with all the problems that happened with the roster and players not playing. It's not terribly surprising to me. So, um, you know, I can understand how people are cynical. Um, I think it hasn't been very fun for Notre Dame fans to, uh, to be around the program talking about things the past couple of weeks, really stretching back a month, maybe even longer than that. It hasn't been very fun. It's probably not going to be a very enjoyable offseason either. Um, and, you know, that will kind of depend upon how this bowl game goes. Um, I'll talk about LSU a little bit after, but I do want to get to the quarterbacks first. Now, um, you know, I think it's hard to stay objective 
100% objective with stuff like this. Um, I will admit, I've always been a big fan of Everett Golson. Um, and I think to a large degree, most of our writers at One Foot Down have always liked him. Um, maybe to a fault. I think, you know, you kind of look at some of his, the negatives of his time at Notre Dame, obviously getting booted for academic issue. Um, and now being able to look at two seasons of playing, possibly some leadership issues. I'll try to touch on that a little bit. You know, he's not the perfect quarterback. I think some of the, the, the backlash against him was that he did start this season off as a bona fide Heisman contender and uh, seemed to crash land and not really uh, come close to staying in the Heisman conversation. Um, so I think there's a bit of a backlash there. You know, I think no matter what, there's going to be fans who aren't going to like who the quarterback is, um, especially if he's not six foot four, 230 pounds. Uh, whether they want to admit it or not, maybe the color of the skin has something to do with it. Um, you know, people are always going to pine for the backup. Um, that's natural. But having said all that, I do think kind of the, the reaction I'm seeing to Golson and, and everything that's going on has been almost absurd to a, to a degree. I, I kind of feel like, you know, again, trying to stay objective with this, if you kind of planted some national people who cover college football and, and know a lot about the game – and kind of like open the door into the conversations that Notre Dame fans are having right now about Golson and, and the quarterback situation and Kelly's offense, that they would be kind of surprised, maybe even shocked at the fact that people are basically saying that Golson shouldn't play anymore. It's time to get Zaire reps or Zaire should start um, this and that. And that, you know, Golson's just never going to be a great quarterback. So, you know, I try to think about stuff like that, and I try to stay objective, even though I do kind of have a, a natural leaning towards Golson. Um, but, you know, there is two seasons to look at with Golson, and it wasn't that long ago when he was the quarterback who uh, was, was known as the winner, someone who could protect the ball. Um, you know, God, it was probably six or seven weeks ago he had the Notre Dame record for – lowest interception percentage. Um, and, you know, people will say, well, that is all gone now. I mean, that record's obliterated. But at the same time, you kind of have to look at things, take, take a step back and say, well, a lot of those interceptions are still pretty fluky. I mean, even the USC game, again, he's – well, the second one was ruled a fumble. But, you know, his, another interception off of his receiver's hands, a perfect pass right across the middle – not a whole lot that Golson can do about that. And, you know, he, I think he threw 13 or 14 interceptions this year. At least half, if not more, were, were pretty unlucky on his part. So, um, you know, I guess one of the topics I wanted to talk about heading into the bowl game is whether or not there should be any sort of split reps. Now, I guess in the bowl game, it's probably going to be something that's going to have to happen unless – Golson completely takes command of the offense during these bowl practices and and Kelly makes the decision pretty early on that Golson has 
has done what he wanted to, to see um, in terms of leadership and all that stuff uh, and, and, and playing well in practice now. Um, my thing with the two-quarterback system is I just don't think it's ever really worked. I mean, we have so many uh, resumes and so many different teams that have tried this. And if you really take away Tim Tebow, I mean, it really hasn't ever worked for any college football team. I mean, it really hasn't worked, um, you know, to any major degree or any great success for a team, uh, especially when you're looking at the quarterback who is, quote-unquote, the underdog and you're trying to get snaps in and fitting him into the system, which would be Zaire in this situation. You know, you can't really – at least, you know, I've tried to do this in the past. I don't know – I mean, Texas did it for a while, Northwestern – did it last year. I mean, you, there was a couple programs here and there every year that kind of try this two-quarterback system, and you don't ever really see the backup come, a, come in and play play well, and eventually, you know, the other quarterback uh, graduates like Chris Leak, and then you have like a Tim Tebow situation where he comes in and, you know, plays well for three more years. I just – I don't think the two-quarterback system has a very good history to it, so – you know, in theory, it'd be nice to get Zaire some reps. And maybe in this bowl game, you'd want to do that just to kind of see uh, what you get out of him. But, you know, going back to what I said earlier, I think people are giving up on Golson way too early. Um, you know, I still think the odds are that he's going to he's gonna take command of the team and, and probably after, I don't know, another seven or ten days from now, maybe a little bit earlier than that, He'll be named the starter, and of course there'll be a lot of arguing about that. But you know, kind of going back to that mental exercise I was doing a couple minutes ago, if I told you that you know Notre Dame was six and zero and Golson was a Heisman contender, that you know come mid December he wasn't ever going to play again because it was Zaire's time to start. I mean, how many people would really believe that? So I do think. You know, we just kind of have to slow our roll a little bit, kind of take a deep breath, um, kind of take a wider view of the program. I don't think – I mean, just on the surface of things, a quarterback controversy isn't good for Notre Dame. Now, I don't think that necessarily means that you want to avoid a quarterback controversy um, by any means. Now, Brian Kelly's job is to put the best quarterback out there that can help Notre Dame win. And if that did happen to be Zaire, then so be it. But – you know, this is just the way I think. Um, and, uh, you know, going into 2015, um, all these players coming back, you know, all the pressure that's going to be on the coaching staff to put up 10 or 11 wins. Do fans really want to go into that season with Zaire starting? I mean, deep down, have has have the people that, are just dying to see Zaire play more. Do they really want to throw Golson aside right now and uh, and kind of walk down that road and all the all the potentially bad things that can happen to the team and the program and the offense if you start Zaire in this bowl game and and uh, and kind of see where that gets you now? I guess it's not an entirely fair argument because if – Zaire is to start this bowl game. It's probably going to be because Golson doesn't come back mentally uh, in the right frame of mind and doesn't take 
command of the offense and doesn't step up as a leader. And if that does happen, um, you know, that's mostly Everett Golson's fault. But still, I mean, unless he transfers, he's going to probably be on the roster next year. You're probably going to see, you know, the quarterback controversy um, continue into uh, the spring. And, you know, even if you do name Zaire the starter against LSU, I mean, who who really thinks that he's going to perform well in that game and and, and kind of – just take off and uh, and not look back and 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 be the starter in the spring and just and just you know quote unquote stiff arm Golson the whole way and uh, and you know that's the last we ever hear of Everett Golson. I don't really think that that's going to happen. So you know I'm looking at this. The highest percentage of the odds are is that you know the ceiling for Notre Dame in 2015 is probably going to be with Golson as the quarterback. And that means that he has to step up and play well in this bowl game and, uh, and kind of reestablish himself because, you know, I, I do think it's fair for people to criticize him the way he played against USC. But I also think that, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, that was his only bad game of the season. You know, you could say, well, the turnovers are bad and stuff like that, but that was his only really, bad game in the sense of he wasn't able to move the offense and be productive, um, you know, and it just kind of seems crazy to me that, you know, like I said, six and zero, he's a Heisman contender, the 12th game of the year, he has a really bad game. He gets pulled and now we're never going to play him again because of X, Y, and Z. I just think that's kind of crazy. That's my personal opinion. And, um, you know, I just don't see a whole lot of, good things happening if, if Zaire were to, to start this game. I mean, like I said, that's not going to happen unless Golson kind of goes into the tank. But even still, I mean, Zaire could play pretty bad against LSU. And um, in the terms of the quarterback controversy uh, discussions that we're going to have, you know, there's going to be a lot of Zaire apologists that say, well, you know, it's his first career start against LSU in a bowl game. They had a lot of time to prep. You can't really expect him to play well. So, I mean, that's kind of a – in a sense, that's a win-win situation for Zaire. He gets to usurp Golson and, and not really have to prove all that much, whereas if Golson goes in there and kind of does the same, well, you know, he doesn't have that benefit of the doubt. Kind of fair, kind of not fair, but, I mean, that's just kind of the road that Notre Dame's going to walk down if they have a, a real co- quarterback controversy. So, you know, my that's just my feeling on it. I think – Right now, it's important for Golson to, to take command. And really, if I'm Brian Kelly, I, I'm doing whatever I can to avoid a quarterback controversy unless, you know, Golson goes into the tank and Zaire is just so amazing in practice. And you know next year that it's going to be Zaire's offense and you're just going to go full steam ahead. I just don't see that happening. I think it's kind of ridiculous. I, I really would be super shocked if that happened. I would be more surprised if, you know, some other crazier things have happened, would happen at Notre Dame. And we know maybe some of that stuff could happen. So that's just my thoughts on the quarterback situation. I, I really would just stress to people that you shouldn't be giving up on Golson right now. Um, he's played really well at times for Notre Dame. The bulk of his career, I still think he's played really well. I think they can hopefully make some adjustments, adjustments to the offense, maybe you know do some things differently um, to take some pressure off of him. Um, I hopefully that's a the kind of the game plan with this bowl game uh, because LSU is going to uh, eat up a lot of clock. That's kind of their mo on offense. So 
kind of transitioning to that bowl game. Uh, the Irish are going to play in the Music City Bowl on December 30th. I believe that's a 3 o'clock kickoff. Um, on my, that bowl preview I did, kind of looking at all the options that Notre Dame had, I didn't like this option only because of the start time. I know a lot of people are probably going to be at work. Um, some people probably will have to take off. Others already have off. Um, I'll be taking a half day um, to make sure that I'll, I'll be ready for this game. Um, you know, LSU, not a great opponent. I do think, um, you know, the more you dig into to LSU, the the more competitive I think the game is going to be than a lot of people think it will be. Um, you know, obviously LSU has a good defense. Um, they always seem to have a good defense. Um you know, whether they're elite or not is debatable. Um, but if you look at some of their areas of their defense, you know, like sacks, that they they kind of aren't a fearsome defense in that, in that sense. So, um, you know, that'll be interesting to see how Notre Dame and possibly Golson uh, react to uh, a defense that isn't really super great at blitzing. So um, offensively, you know, the power run game that LSU has got a couple senior running backs. They got a stud fresh from running back in Leonard Fournette does not match up well with Notre Dame, especially with all the injuries. Now we have gotten some, some good news with all the injury injury concerns. Um, you know, pretty much guys like Matuska and day and Martini. Uh, hopefully we're getting them back rigs for the bowl game. Um, Kelly seemed pretty positive on most of those guys already. Um, I do kind of take that with a grain of salt, though. I'm not sure if we're going to have all of those guys 100%. Um, Kelly seems to tend to be a lot more positive about those injuries. I don't know how we could be really that positive about someone like Sheldon Day, but hopefully, you know, you can get Sheldon Day close to 100%. That's going to help out a lot. You know, the good thing with LSU is they don't really have a potent passing attack, so. In that sense, I think Notre Dame, this is a good matchup. I really didn't want to see Notre Dame play Texas A&M or, uh, you know, an Auburn, uh, uh, you know, a, a more up-tempo, uh, dynamic offenses that can, can beat you both running and passing. Uh, so, you know, if Notre Dame puts in a valiant effort on defense, I think there is a little bit of hope for this game. Um, but, uh, you know, nobody's really expecting Notre Dame to win this game. Uh, I'm looking forward to digging into uh, my preview, doing some research with LSU. And, uh, you know, I, just an early look, I've, I've looked a little bit at, at some of their games, and uh, they're still a pretty young team. I mean, obviously, it's this 8-4 LSU team. This isn't up to their typical expectations. Uh, but there's a lot of young players on that team. You know, quarterbacks are young. Fournette's a true freshman. Um they're not terribly young on the offensive line, although they're not terribly experienced there. Um, you know, a bunch of young receivers. Uh, defense is a mix, I guess, of players. So, um, you know, it's going to be a good test for Notre Dame. Um, if they happen to win this game, I mean, that's a huge, huge swing of momentum for uh, for the offseason. Uh, recruiting would probably uh, cap off really nicely. It's been interesting to see how the recruiting hasn't really been damaged at all by this kind of tailspin of a end of the season. 
Nobody's de- decommitted yet. You know, there's been concerns with Jerry Tillery. He he signed his grant and aid paperwork. Looks to be coming in as an early enrollee. Everything looks good there. There's usually another a decommit or two along the way. I don't think that would be all that surprising. I mean, that, that's just playing the averages, I guess. But, I mean, it hasn't happened yet. And, uh, you know, it still looks like the staff is, is – uh, wanting to add three to five more players. You know, we've gone over the scholarship numbers on the site a couple times since the summer. We might do that again here soon. And, uh, you know, numbers are getting tight. Fifth-year players, there's going to be some tough decisions there. And um, it kind of seems like the staff is maybe factoring in some decommits. I mean, that's just my uh, tinfoil hat conspiracy. But uh, with everything that's coming up, I mean, Nick Martin mentioned uh, yesterday or the day before that he's definitely coming back. So that would, if he says that in public, I guess that would assume that he is going to be asked back. He is a captain. I guess that's not too surprising, but there was some chatter that maybe Notre Dame would move on. He hasn't played all that well this year. So um, looking forward to the bowl game, even though, I mean, this season has kind of ended with a with a thud. And, uh, you know, LSU is a fun opponent, um, better than them. several other teams. Um, that Notre Dame could have played, like Penn State or something like that. I mean, that would have just been torture to watch a game like that. And uh, You know, even though the odds are stacked against Notre Dame, uh, you know, it's, it can be fun sometimes to be the underdog in a big game like this and uh, kind of lay it out on the line. And maybe Notre Dame can pull out the window. We'll see. And uh, I guess I'll just have to look forward to what I predict on the site. So I think the spread is at eight, maybe gone up to eight or nine. So, uh, LSU is a pretty hefty favorite, although they could probably talk 95% of the Notre Dame fan base into probably jacking that up to 15 or 16, and they would still take LSU. So, you know, the 2014 season is, well, the regular season is is over with. Um, we've got the playoff, 14 playoffs locked in. Um, I'm a huge supporter of the playoff. Uh, I've never hidden from that. You know, when everything started a couple months ago, you know, I just kind of have to laugh at everything. If you remember in in podcasts in the past, one of the main things I said about the playoffs was people are going to get upset about the playoffs no matter what. And kind of an offshoot of that argument is that a lot of the people that are upset with the playoffs kind of made up their minds before anything came out with the committee and any of these rankings came out. I mean, they're just going to be, it's never going to be perfect. I don't know why people don't realize that. Um, I think it's a huge improvement over the, the old system. You know, I had TCU as my fourth team. I thought I would have put them in over Ohio state, but at the end of the day, it's not that huge of a, of, of a deal to me. I mean, it's unfortunate for TCU. It's unfortunate for Baylor. It's unfortunate for the big 12, but you know, Look at their out-of-conference out of schedules. I mean, those left a lot to be desired. You know, people were complaining and whining incessantly in the beginning of the, those rankings from the committee that out-of-conference scheduling didn't matter and it only mattered games at the top. Well, look at TCU and Baylor. Didn't do anything out-of-conference. Now, TCU did beat Minnesota up pretty well. That was a pretty good win for them. But Baylor was a black hole out-of-conference, you know, and 
Baylor doesn't schedule anybody out of conference. That's their own fault. So, you know, not really all that upset about uh, how the final rankings came out. I think the four-team playoff is going to be awesome. Uh, Bama versus Ohio State, uh, Oregon versus Florida State, going to be great games. Um, really looking forward to watching all those games. I'm really hoping it's an Alabama-Oregon final. That'd be one versus two. Um, you know, we've been waiting for this for four or five years, and it really seems like this is the uh, could be the best matchup. You know, this probably isn't the best Oregon defense that they've had. Um, but with a senior Marcus Mariota, I mean, in all likelihood, the runaway Heisman winner here coming up on Sunday, you know, their offense is going to give Alabama a lot of trouble. And on the flip side, Alabama, still Alabama, but, you know, not the super loaded Alabama teams that we've seen in the past. At least it doesn't seem that way. Um, you know, still really good on defense, but offensively, you know, they can, They've had a couple. They've had some spots this year where they've really struggled. You know, Arkansas. They couldn't really move the ball that well. Um, but there is some big playability there from all Alabama. But it does kind of feel like, you know, this isn't an, an awesome, just unbeatable Alabama team. Obviously, they've already lost this year. So, I think that's going to be a really competitive and fun uh, championship game if it comes to fruition that Oregon and Alabama play each other. So, you know, another thing that I wanted to talk about was. You know, when the rankings came out, the big complaints were, one, that there was all this SEC bias. Of course, you know, I wrote that article on our site that wasn't popular at all. Um, Not all that surprising. Um, But, uh, you know, all these complaints about SEC bias, all these worries about two SEC teams making it in. Well, it turns out that, you know, didn't happen at all. And it's just kind of funny because – I, I, I don't know. I just have to laugh because when this stuff happens in the moment, it's such a big deal. You know, all these big words are dragged out about how, you know, this is terrible, this is corrupt, and, you know, there's all these philosophical t- terms and all this stuff is thrown out. And then when the final rankings come out, you know, the whole anti, or I guess the SEC bias talk just kind of slinks back into the corner waiting for, you know, another opportune time to come out in, in full force. So, you know, I do think a lot of that stuff's just pretty ridiculous. The other thing is that, you know, there was a lot of, I guess, or the correct word for it is, a lot of people didn't think or believe that the committee was going to really re-rank every week and that everyone, you know, most of the people thought that it was going to be a lot like the AP where you just kind of slid up you know, depending on if you won or lost. And there really wasn't a whole lot you could do if, you know, you're at the sixth ranking and, and team fives, four, and three, one, you couldn't ever really pass them unless you did something like unholy awesome um, and beat like the number one team or something like that. So, you know, this is exactly what we got. The committee said they were going to completely re-rank every week. That's exactly what they did. I'm not saying that what they did was perfect, but again, it's never going to be perfect. Um, I know a lot of people have a lot of problems with the, you know, releasing the rankings for the last five weeks of the season or whatever. It doesn't really bother me a whole lot. You know, it kind of stinks for TCU that they were in three and then they dropped back to wherever they dropped. Uh, I think they went to six and, uh, you know, people are like, well, how can that be? But 
doesn't that mean they're re-ranking? I mean, they're re-ranking every week. That's how it can be. I mean, you know, people say, well, they won 51 to 3. Yeah, but, I mean, isn't that just – it kind of seems like people are arguing against their own argument that they're taking that old-school AP style of thinking and then, you know, kind of putting that on the committee that they didn't act that way when they said they weren't going to do that in the first place. So, you know, I just find that frustrating. And, and But, you know, the whole re-ranking thing and the whole SEC stuff – Really, no one's talking about it now because, you know, there's other stuff to complain about. So I guess that's just the way it's going to be. So kind uh, of wrap things up here. Notre Dame has their big awards banquet this Friday. Um, probably the biggest recruiting weekend uh, for Notre Dame. They had a couple big games this year. Uh, Stanford game, the Michigan games at home were, were fairly – important for recruiting although they didn't get good weather for that second one um but uh this is probably the most star-studded lineup we've seen for visits i think maybe going back to that 2011 usc game where notre dame laid an egg and uh, all those uh california recruits were on campus but uh you know we'll have a, a post on friday breaking that down kind of talking about everyone that's coming you can read my uh, offensive big board uh, that was posted on Tuesday. It kind of talks a little bit about some of the players that are coming, kind of where they're at. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure when the next podcast is going to be. We might um, do something after the bowl game. Um, so it might be another couple weeks until uh, I come back on here and give you some some deep thoughts. So uh, it's a 46th episode. I'm Eric Murtaugh. Um, we'll see you in a couple more weeks after Notre Dame plays their bowl game against LSU. Take care.